The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. Welcome back to the State House Takeout with uh, a roundup of your news on Beacon Hill for this week and for the last three weeks after we took our little August recess here on the takeout. We're back again with Katie Lannon, Chris Lasinski, and Colin Young. Hi, folks. Howdy. We're all rested and ready to go. Let's dive in. Yeah. And actually, we should uh, we should start with some of the biggest news from this August recess, which is why our colleague Matt Murphy isn't here. He and uh, his wife were blessed with uh, a lovely baby boy. So our congratulations to them. And we are hoping to have Elliot here joining us on the takeout just as soon as he is up for uh, full words and some solid food. Hmm, indeed. <laughs> Uh, but it has been, uh, as we look back over these three weeks, um, it's, it's amazing how much really, really has happened. And, and there is a lot to catch up on from the mundane, like uh, our statehouse phone system being down for a day uh, um, or the press gallery being turned upside down right now as they do a massive reflooring project. Or uh, even Bob Cousy getting the uh, Medal of Freedom up at the uh, White House there. Colin, you even wrote about that for uh, for the news service. That's right. Uh, I believe Bob Cousy is the first resident of the great city of Worcester to receive the nation's highest civilian honor. Really? And this is coming from a Worcester area native yourself. That's right. That's right. Bob Cousy. A lot of pride uh, in Worcester for Bob Cousy. Well, from the more mundane topics uh, like that to some more impactful news, Katie, such as uh, the merger of Harvard Pilgrim and, and Tufts. Uh, that was announced over this August recess, and they're going to end up serving 2.4 million people here in New England. Can't believe you're having me follow Bob Cousy with an insurance company merger. <laughs> Ouch! Um, but the full gamut, right? Yeah, it's you know as as dry as a corporate announcement can sometimes seem. This is a this is a big deal. These are the the second and third largest insurers in Massachusetts, and it does have the potential to shake up the landscape in a time of, you know, increasing healthcare consolidation. We've seen hospitals merging um, as well into kind of the the type of system that can challenge the front runner. It's hard not to draw a parallel with this to the Beth Israel Leahy merger that was approved earlier this year after an extensive review process. Um, we're expecting a longer along in a substantial review here as well, but that's still a, a little TBD. But we'll be uh, we'll be following it as the fall and likely 2020 kicks up. Right. Speaking of 2020, <laughs> we've had a fair amount Why of. Is, is something happening in 2020? Uh, I'm 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 not sure. Could could someone remind me? The Olympics. <laughs> oh right, Summer Olympics. We're due for a Summer Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, in, in in 2020 news, we we actually got a fair amount during the lull in lawmaking up here. Um, a lot of the lawmakers who are off on their vacations and what have you, or out in the district, uh, issued endorsements. Uh, when was it? This week? Last week? For um, uh, Senator Ed Markey, as he faces a couple of primary challenges and maybe a third. Sam, it was more than just a couple of lawmakers. We had 116 of the 
200 legislators here on Beacon Hill all endorsing sitting uh, U.S. Senator Ed Markey in a single press release that very conveniently, and we have to imagine strategically, was timed to come out just about 10 minutes after uh, Congressman Joe Kennedy spoke to the media for the very first time since he indicated that he is considering a primary challenge against Markey this fall. And Chris, I I was listening to some of the audio you recorded uh, this morning when you were out in Newton earlier this week catching up with uh, Congressman Kennedy. What's his, I know he hasn't made up his mind yet, but but what's his pitch? Why is he out here, you know, putting his name forward? Why do you vote against Ed Markey? Well, his pitch was not exactly all that specific about what is different between him and Mark. He spoke in pretty general terms about needing new ideas and a new approach to take on not just the challenges that Democrats are facing under President Donald Trump, but the circumstances that led to Trump's election. But that being said, you know, the scrum of reporters out there must have asked him five or six different times why exactly he's targeting Markey and what's different that Kennedy plans to bring. He said that he doesn't see it as an age matter, being about 35 years younger than Ed Markey. He said that he does not consider the current generation of Democratic leaders a a failed generation. Uh, And he considers Senator Markey a good man, in his words, but thinks that uh, the time for waiting to run for a higher office in Massachusetts is over and kind of vaguely thinks that he can do a better job. Uh, Kind of interesting to think about. Um, You mentioned 116 uh, state lawmakers came out in support of Markey. Um, So there's about, what, 50 Democrats who weren't included in that list. Um, I'd be curious how many of them uh, live in Kennedy's district versus not. Right. That's a good question. I don't think we have that offhand. But what I do think is striking about that list and really underscores a lot of the confusion in this potential race we're looking at is the endorsements for Markey came from pretty widely across the the Democratic caucus up here on Beacon Hill from uh, Senator Michael Rodrigues, who we reported earlier this year, described himself as in the boring middle, mm-hmm. right down to some of the most progressive new voices here, uh, Rep. Tammy Guvea, Rep. Mike Connolly, all in favor of Markey. So it is pretty insidery to get support from state lawmakers. But among that group, he's kind of cutting across different factions. Katie? And the uh, the Markey campaign, too, pointed out that those endorsements came from every county um, of Massachusetts. So it's, there's a geographic distribution. And that does include a couple lawmakers from within uh Kennedy's district. Uh, Senator Mark Pacheco is one of them. But there were a few more from that immediate vicinity who are playing their cards a little closer to the vest at this point, who may be uh, hoping to see Kennedy make the run um, to open up a potential congressional seat. I think this story was a real good example of um, an August talker. You know, uh, there really wasn't a whole lot happening uh, this month. But this was one where, you know, You've got a Kennedy to talk about. You've got political intrigue to talk about. Uh, you've got Democrat on Democrat campaigning to talk about. It was certainly something that got people's uh, grabbed people's attention and and um, set their imaginations going. And uh, certainly we, there were some people who were willing uh, this month to play the what if game. You know, what if Joe Kennedy decides to run for Senate? Would I then consider running for his congressional seat, et cetera, et cetera? What if uh, Liz Warren gets the presidential nomination and then? Kennedy ran for her seat. That's right. August is a good month to come up with all of these uh, <laughs> all of these possible scenarios. Right. Also in 2020 uh, news, um, our local congressman in the race, Seth Moulton, uh, dropped out of the race during this August recess. Great, but Moulton 
uh, dropping out of the presidential race, uh, said that he is going to seek re-election to his congressional seat, uh, but he'll have company in that race, as will a number of the incumbent uh, members of Congress across Massachusetts, shaping up that uh, we could have some busy primaries next year. Right, and Moulton's largely been on the road out of the state for his presidential run. Katie? And the Moulton's exit from the race, of course, leaves us um, with having an embarrassment of political rich- riches here in Massachusetts with only two local candidates in the race, and Senator Warren on the Democratic side and former Governor Weld on the Republican side which uh, still isn't enough to encourage uh, Governor Baker to dip his toe into the, the presidential endorsement waters. He was asked about uh, his favored candidate this week and once again uh, declined to answer, saying he's focused on his day job. That's a line we, we heard from him last Back cycle. In 2016. And absolutely gearing up to hear a few more times around this cycle, I bet. Yeah, even though Weld is the governor's mentor, former boss... Absolutely. Worked closely together, but I guess in that same uh, busy and complicated day job. And the vice president, uh, Mike Pence, was here in Massachusetts uh, touching down in Nantucket back, what, a few weeks ago. Um, And the governor met him on the tarmac there. And one of the things they talked about, uh, Colin, was offshore wind, which has been something the feds have been stalling or, or, or freezing as Vineyard Wind tries to get off the ground off the coast of Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, exactly. Charlie Baker met with Mike Pence uh, out on Nantucket. The, the vice president was here to attend a, a fundraiser for the, the National Republican Party and or for National Republican um, campaigns generally. Mm. Uh, the governor did not attend those fundraisers, but he did uh, talk with Pence about Vineyard Wind uh, and some, some national trade policy things. But on the Vineyard Wind front, uh, you know, it, it's really all in a holding pattern at this point. The federal government's going ahead with its supplemental review of, of how all of these wind farms planned off the coast could affect uh, the environment, recreation, and a whole host of, of, of other things. Um, the governor said this week that he's not concerned about this new um, this new review pushing Vineyard Winds uh, sort of review window even further than March of 2020, which is something the feds had been saying. Um, they've been saying they have until the end of March to issue this final environmental impact statement, which is what Vineyard Wind needs and really said they needed by the end of August. Uh, to be able to make this project a reality. Right, to be able to qualify for certain grants and, and, and so forth. Tax, tax credits. credits. Yep. Yeah. So this holdup at this point isn't even about Vineyard Wind itself. It isn't even about Massachusetts in particular. It's just about the federal authorities' attitude toward wind. And and we heard from uh, the president um, earlier this week, I think, um, and we got a little glimpse into how he views offshore wind when he called them, uh, he called offshore wind projects just uh, costly dreams, right? Yeah, the president isn't a fan of, of wind projects generally. He's talked before about uh, turbines and, and the noise that they make and, and how birds can die um, from, from sort of flying near these turbines. Uh, he's, he's talked about uh, land-based wind turbines driving down home values. Uh, Congressman Bill Keating mentioned this a few weeks ago when the federal government announced this latest round of a review. Uh, he said that the president has a personal vendetta against wind. Uh, now, since that first uh, announcement of this new review, uh, the language has sort of softened a bit uh, towards the president, towards the administration. Uh, we heard the governor, who who really hasn't 
criticized uh, the federal government too strongly for or, this latest directly. Review. Yeah, he said it's a step in the wrong direction, but but hasn't gone much further than that. Uh, and this week he had a slightly softer tone too, saying he's not that concerned. He thinks um, Secretary of the Interior David Bernhardt is is on you know really on top of things here, and um, said that really the the state. Uh, is getting exactly what it expected out of a federal regulator. And Sam, I should also mention that um, today, while we're talking about Vineyard Wind, that was the, the, the state's first offshore wind procurement. And today, the public bids are due for the state's second procurement of 800 megawatts of offshore wind power. Uh, and so far, we know that three companies are vying for that contract. Vineyard Wind is is seeking a second contract for its Vineyard Wind 2 project. Mm. Uh, also, Mayflower Wind and Bay State Wind are also uh, seeking that next contract. Right, we'll see who comes out on top. Yep, we'll know that in November. Gotcha. Uh, Chris, let's uh, let's catch up a little bit on transportation. We've had a fair amount happening in that realm. Yes, Whether because even when lawmakers are on recess, people still need to get places. They do, from, from point A to point B. And one of, the, um, one of the interesting, speaking of talkers, August talkers, when that ferry uh, ran aground, the, uh, the lightning, um, off of, what was that, off of uh, Hingham? It was off of Long Island, off of uh, Long Island. somewhere in the harbor. It was yeah. heading from Hull into Boston. Gotcha. Uh, um, when when that ran aground, uh, we started talking in the newsroom, uh, gee, now the ferry has been interrupted one day. Uh, which line hasn't been interrupted this summer, right? The green line had a derailment or two. The commuter rail hit a couple of folks. Blue line had a power outage. Red line, we know what happened at JFK Station. Um, and, and really, what is it? Just the silver line and, and the ride? Don't forget about the track fire on my orange line commute. Oh, right, right. I knew I was forgetting. <laughs> it's hard to keep track. And also don't forget yesterday when all commuter rail service from on the Lowell line from Boston up to Woburn was canceled and shifted onto shuttle buses because a drill broke down next to the tracks. Is this more than normal or is it just that we're talking about it more because there's less of the other stuff to talk about? I I would say it's probably the latter of those. I mean, the frequency of these things might be up slightly, but um, I think it's much more likely that we're noticing it more and more because every time you have an incident, you get a little bit more frustrated. And because there has been so much discussion um, you know, in our coverage about the transportation system and what needs to be done to handle it. I mean, keep in mind that just a couple of months ago, the MPTA updated its figures and said that the cost to modernize the entire system and bring it all up to modern standards is still is something like $10 billion. And uh, meantime, we're looking ahead to some uh, weekend service shutdowns as they try to accelerate the repair schedule, uh, what, through the end of December? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, so some weekend shutdowns had been planned already. For instance, the the D line on the green line uh, basically isn't running most weekends through the end of the year, save for a couple here and there. But what the T is doing, following in the footsteps of something that the governor himself recommended, um, is, is adding additional service disruptions on weekends. I think it's five straight weeks on the orange line at one point, another few in a row on the red line, so that they can try and get some more work done quickly and shorten the time frame on a lot of these projects that they have planned. Sure. Meantime, we've got some new orange line cars rolling out. The red line derailment is still under investigation, right? We've got that new Valley Flyer service uh, out in the Pioneer Valley that's, that's just starting up. 
and uh, Wollaston Station reopened. Meantime, o- over at the RMV, Chris, the uh, scandal continues to evolve. And uh, uh, what was it? Another 800 licenses have now been suspended. Yep. So the total is somewhere above 2,400. Uh, as of the last report we got from the RMV, we got those findings back from Grant Thornton, the outside auditing firm that basically expanded the scope of this even more, mentioned departments and employees that we previously publicly had not heard about as being involved. And last week, we saw the second employee at the RMV to leave in the wake of all of this when a, a long dormant oversight board voted in its first meeting in years to fire Tom Bowes, who uh, had been head of the, the merit rating board. Right. That was sort of an interesting spectacle, this uh, sort of public firing in front of the bank of TV cameras. Right, right. And, and Bose himself was there, and they gave him a chance to make a brief statement, but it, it seemed pretty apparent to, to all of us gathered that the decision had already been reached before they uh, before they took this public vote. Yeah. Uh, distracted driving bill still in conference committee after, what, approaching 70-something days? Yep. They first started talks on that on June 19th. Came ever so close, as we've talked about previously here, on July 31st as a session stretched into the, the wee hours of the morning, August 1st. But uh, that negotiation fell apart over an issue with the language. And we haven't had much significant progress since then. The chairs are kind of keeping their cards close to the vest. But we are seeing some additional pressure on them from outside voices. Right. We saw that uh, horrible crash video from Berlin Mass, that recent uh, texting while driving crash. Right. uh, Yeah. A car hitting a a utility pole and flipping over and police citing the driver for texting while crashing um, has really kind of spotlighted for a lot of advocates the need for this this conference committee to wrap up its work soon and get stricter regulations on the books. And with this week's podcast, more of a a roundup of what happened the last three weeks, uh, next week's podcast will probably be looking ahead a bit more um, toward the agenda, the legislative agenda, what's coming up uh, this fall. But uh, briefly, one thing that will be coming up next week is uh, a hearing in Governor Baker's nomination of Taunton Mayor Thomas Hoy to be the interim register of probate down in Bristol County. And uh, Katie, there's, um, there's going to be some issues at play in that hearing. Yeah, Sam, I think one thing we're going to be watching for as that hearing unfolds is any new details about the the timing, the discussions, the sort of behind the scenes of that appointment. Um, Governor Baker tapped Mayor Hoy for the uh, Bristol Register of Probate post, which um, has been filled on an acting basis for several months. The previous register retired or left left for another post rather late last year. And the the appointment of Mayor Hoy came a day before the nomination paper period closed for this year's mayoral race. So Councillor Marilyn Devaney of the Governor's Council did, at a meeting this month, raise some questions about why that was done at that time in that way, about the process by which his appointment was or wasn't presented to councillors. So we're hoping that that thread gets unraveled a little bit more. Um, the, the governor's team hasn't said too much about it, so it might be interesting to hear, uh, hear a little bit more from the mayor himself, from the nominee himself. He had been planning, it seemed, to run for re-election, but now is uh, all aboard and plans to 
you know, if confirmed to this appointment, run for a, a full term in the probate post. Well, we'll be watching that next week on what's going to be, let us not forget, a four-day week because we're heading into our Labor Day long weekend, which the governor will be spending down in uh, Pennsylvania as his eldest son gets married down near Philadelphia. And uh, Chris, you're heading down to uh, watch some U.S. Open, aren't you? I am. I'm making my annual pilgrimage down to the Billie Jean King Tennis Center. You are a tennis player yourself, aren't you? Uh, very, very, very generous to describe uh, myself as a tennis player. I <laughs> hold a racket and gesture at the ball, and sometimes <laughs> it goes well. Fair enough. Uh, any other good Labor Day weekend plans, folks? I will be spending my holiday weekend the same way I've been spending all of my free time in the, the recent moment in wedding planning. Um, so that's still going. Maybe uh, maybe the governor can bring back some, some do's and don'ts from his son's trip. <laughs> And should we all just say as we approach September 1st, good luck to everyone moving. And if we have any uh, prospective college students listening to our podcast, which I doubt don't drive a truck on Starro Drive. <laughs> and best of luck to our colleague in the press gallery, uh, Bob Salzberg of the Associated Press, who retires this week after uh, decades in the Boston news industry. All right. Have a great weekend, folks. And uh, we'll be back next Friday. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.